You know, I think that the practice of writing is a constant reminder to those of us who do it that we're never done learning, ever. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast. I'm your host, Allison Fallon, and on today's episode, I interview Laura Yunkin. Quick fun story about how I met Laura. I was at a Create and Cultivate event here in LA. I was actually in town visiting my then boyfriend, who has now become my husband, and I saw this powerhouse of a woman speak on stage. She was confident, she was accomplished, and she had the entire audience captivated the entire time she was presenting. So when she finished, I wanted to go tell her hello and how much I had enjoyed hearing from her. And as she told me what she did for a living, the truth was I didn't exactly understand, but I kind of got the feeling that she did sort of what Matt does for a living, my then boyfriend, now husband, building these massive installations at theme parks and cultural events like Comic-Con and Coachella and Disney, et cetera. And it was that one little tidbit that I happened to know because I'd had these conversations with Matt that gave me an in in this conversation with her, which ended up lasting for a long time. We ended up chatting for a while and becoming friends. But the truth is, that was just the beginning of my understanding of all that Laura does. Laura is not only a producer for these massive cultural experiences, she's also a writer for Forbes. She's a creative consultant, and she's a former Disney Imagineer. And my favorite part of it all, she's a huge advocate for writing and writers. On today's episode, Laura and I talk about how writing shows up in her life all the time, even as a producer. We talk about how everything in life is storytelling, and it's the storytellers who run the world. We talk about the importance of even an email and the power of writing an important email well. We talk about what helps Laura be creative. She walks us through her own creative process. Maybe some of those little tricks and tips will be helpful for you. We talk about using writing to work through grief, and we talk about writing making her more fearless. I hope today's episode makes you even more fearless than you already are in your writing and in your life. Let's get started. Hello, hello, it's Laura Yunkin. Hi, Allie. <laughs> Hi, thanks so much for doing this with me. This is so fun. You're so welcome. I'm so excited for you and excited for all the people who will get to listen to your podcast. I will be oh, one of them. Oh, thanks. I, I can't wait to release this into the world. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. In fact, we were just like chit-chatting before we hit record. And I'm like, we've got to hit record right now because you're already saying stuff that I want our listeners to hear. So why don't we start with the question that I ask everyone to begin with? And that is, what does find your voice mean to you? Mm, Find your voice, I think for me means being comfortable using your voice, being confident Mm -hmm. using your voice. It's 
one thing, I, I guess, just to find it, but I'm not sure if you've really found it if you don't know how to use it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's just me. I um, love it. And knowing what you want to say. Yeah. You definitely are a woman who represents that to me. One of the things I really admire about you is really from the minute I've met you, I've been like, how does this woman achieve what she achieves in the world? You've got your hand in a thousand different things. And I think actually it might be good for listeners to hear from you a little bit about what do you say when people ask you what you do? And, and talk a little bit about like all the different projects you've had your hand in over the years. Sure. Thanks, Allie. That's very kind. It's sometimes difficult to explain what I do. There's been times in the world where it's been easy. I used to be able to say, hi, I'm Laura. I'm a producer uh, at Disney. Or hi, I'm Laura. I'm a graduate student at CalArts. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm whatever. And as my career has expanded you know, it's easy for me to say, hi, I'm Laura. I'm a producer and a writer. I now own the writer title. So um, mm-hmm. it's simpler, but you know, titles are really for other people. They're not for you. That's um, true. A, you know what I mean? It's a way of ex- explaining your work. Our culture is so obsessed with, you know, what do you do um, that we put a lot of emphasis on that, but I don't think it's the most important thing. Really what I do is creative advocacy and creative project management in a lot of ways. So as a producer, depending on what it is, I'm responsible for the development and then the execution of usually an entertainment or storytelling driven project. So that could be a lot of different things. I've worked in television development. I've worked on the documentary film side. I've done a ton of theater and that's really my truest love and where I got my start. I'm working, doing some work in scripted television now. Um, I'm currently a production executive and EP at a company in New York called Figure Eight. Um, And we own the Museum of Ice Cream and are launching lots of other incredible immersive experiences. I was at Disney for five years in the Imagineering Group, where I worked on a lot of live entertainment projects for the company, special kind of cool secret collaboration projects that Disney was doing with other organizations. Worked a lot in our R&D department and also, uh, yeah, helped bring Avatar from, you know, the big screen into the theme park and immersive space. I love the theme park medium only in the sense that it's so fun to build big permanent theater. That's really what it is. And I never imagined that I would end up working in that in that zone at all or in that area of entertainment, but I found it to be really rewarding and really creatively challenging, especially from a story perspective. So amazing. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. Right now, my the big things I'm working on are my scripted TV projects and then everything going on with figure eight and kind of growing all of our brands and immersive experiences around the world. Okay. So talk to me about, you mentioned that you are just learning to own this title of writer. And I know from knowing you in real life that that job description shows up across the board in every single one of these projects that you have your hand in. Mm -hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about what that looks like for you in those different settings. Sure. So, you know, it's funny, Ali, you were really one of the people who helped me kind of get over this hurdle a few years ago because we're all, we're all writers. We all write, we write emails, we write text Mm. messages, we write letters. We, some of us write scripts and stories and other people write dissertations and some people write reports and grants. I mean, we're all writers in our own way. 
the way that my writing shows up in my role as a leader on projects or in organizations, a lot of my writing is purely for communication. And some of it is creative. Some of it is, you know, pitching and explaining the creative vision behind something, what we're doing, being able to articulate point by point the story that we're trying to tell. And then underneath that, how we're going to tell it. What's the strategy? How will we execute? I spend a lot of time crafting communication and making sure that we're using the right words to, you know, explain or get across the message that we want to send or to work out a lot of conflict resolution. I spend a lot of time as well looking at stories. So when we're breaking down the dramaturgy of an immersive experience and looking at world building and how do we put these pieces together, what's the story that we're trying to tell? And then behind that, what's the backstory we need to build in order to get us there? I do quite a bit of that type of development. Gosh, what else? I still write for Forbes every now and then. So I had a column, I still have a column. It's not quite as active in the last six months as it used to be. So I do some solo writing. Really, I like to to just amplify uh, the voices of, of powerful women who I find really interesting or tell stories or highlight interesting things women are doing. In the past, I was writing, really collecting and writing stories and sharing. The Brave Millennial was a storytelling project that you know about where I went around and interviewed you know, over 350 millennial women about their upward mobility in their lives and careers and all the barriers they're in. And I was able to kind of, you know, digest all of that and repackage it and tell their stories in, in a new way. So writing is a big part of that as well. So that's kind of where it so where many it is ways for me right now. Yeah. You, you were telling me a story before we hit record about something you had to write just an hour ago, right? Yes. That is such a great story to demonstrate to people how we don't have an option as to whether we want to be a writer or not. We, all of us in every profession, in every field, in every walk of life that we in the modern world, writing is a necessity. It is because the way that we often now communicate with each other, especially in professional settings, is through writing. And that could be Slack messages, that could be email for most people, it's your inter-office communicator, you know, whatever it is you're using mm. or it's text messages. The style in which we write and communicate is evolved so differently and it's also very generational. But there are some things that we all need to be capable of doing and that's writing the hard email. And I haven't always been great at it, but I think I've, I've certainly gotten a lot better at it over the years. So the email I had to send about an hour ago was a thank you and farewell email to one of my teammates who's going to be leaving our team. And tomorrow is his last day. And it's really hard to know in those situations, you know, what's the right thing to say when we, you know, it's always a little bit awkward. Someone's leaving. How do we, you know, how do we navigate this? I wanted as a leader to demonstrate to him and to the team that we as a team uh, and as a company really appreciate him and his work and we'll be rooting for him as he moves on to his next adventure. And I also wanted you know, the team to have the opportunity to then chime in with written words. And, you know, he's heard me say this on the phone many times, like, we're super proud of you. I'm very excited for you. You know, we're here for you. But it's really nice. And there's a different type of power, really, when you read something. And in this case, other people are reading it as well. It's a type of recognition. And from a leadership perspective, it's really, really important to be able to do that and just to set a precedent for how we 
for how we treat each other. Yeah. And so, but it, you know, it gets to me. I, I've had a little cry in the process <laughs> of doing it. I couldn't help myself. I was just feeling, you know, really proud and nostalgic and also felt like, yes, this is a very small, short email. And yes, it's a small gesture, but it's probably really meaningful for the person who will receive it. Sure. And it's interesting even to think about those tears for you, which probably wouldn't have come if you didn't sit down to write the words. Those words are having a powerful impact on you and on him and on everyone else who's reading them. And it's just an email to a coworker. Um, And I say just sort of sarcastically, but, you know, these pieces of communication that we have on a daily basis are so vitally important to the quality of our lives because the way we communicate the words we use to communicate change the way that we're received and perceived and connected to the people around us. Very much so, so I just think that's such a powerful example of one of those everyday ways that we we need to be gifted as writers. We need to constantly be thinking about how can I communicate better with the people who are listening to me. And it doesn't have to be perfect, I think, is is something we have to remind ourselves. It doesn't have to be perfect. The sentiment doesn't have to be articulated and, you know, your vocabulary doesn't have to be expansive. It just, it just matters that you made the attempt to do it. Do you, I want to know, do you still have emails or cards or things that people have written to you that you revisit over and over again? Yes. I have shoe boxes that are, that are, I have a file in my email and then I also have the file in my email I visit when I'm having a bad day. And then I have, two shoeboxes under my bed that are filled with cards and sentimental things that people have given me over the years, but usually it's words. Yeah. Same for me. So I felt like today, this email is going to be one of the last things that this young man is going to receive at our company. And I want this to be the one that he puts in that folder that he needs to, you know, that he can revisit. That's an affirmation of his time and his work and value. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your creative process. Sure. I, I'd love to know, like, what are the elements of making something for you? And you could talk about writing certainly as part of that, but, but yeah, what is it that you, what kind of environment do you create for yourself that you, that helps you to be creative? Oh, that's a really good question. It kind of depends on what it is. Sometimes when I'm working on more theatrical projects, it's really nice to get on our feet. It's great to either have a script or have a ground plan of this thing that we're building and get in the venue and actually walk around and um, and kind of feel the space. Um, my best creative process, no matter what I'm working on, is always a collaboration with others. I have a writing partner and I write as part of a team now, which has been life-changing. I still write solo and find it really gratifying, but writing with a partner is wonderful. And then creating other, you know, other experiences or pieces of artistic work, it's always a collaboration. And I've got a few story folks and designers that I'm working with now. It just kind of depends on what we're making, but I find, I find that in order to do anything well, or to really bring your best work forward, the environment has to be free of fear. It has to be like a really supportive doesn't have to be, it doesn't mean it's like free from tension or free from creative, you know, healthy creative ideation where we're pushing, you know, on, on each other's ideas, but it has to be free from fear. And, you know, there can't really be like an overarching, that aura in the room where people are afraid to say something or afraid to be creative or afraid to take risk. And so for me, it always has to start at a, not a happy place, 
but at a centered and really joyful place. We're all there. We're all equals. We're all there in service of what we're doing together. That's such a great point. I want to zoom in on this concept of writing with a partner because Mm. I think it's really, really important to talk about for one reason, because I think we have this idea in our mind that writing is an incredibly solitary activity. And what I've found is that although there are moments of writing for sure, and especially personal writing when you're working on a book or if you're writing a column that are very solitary, but I actually don't think any piece of writing is solitary. <laughs> solitary. It's not. So the idea of <laughs> writing with a partner is fascinating to me. I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what that's like and how it changes things for you. Sure. So it's something I've been doing for about three years now. And my writing partner, Jim, his wife, Rebecca, was a very close friend of mine from college. And we've known all known each other for a very long time. Jim is a screenwriter and just phenomenally intelligent and talented. And we've been friends for such a long time and we've always gotten along really well. We have really similar interests and senses of humor, but our skill sets are vastly different in terms of you know our strengths. And we've always felt like, oh, it'd be fun to collaborate on something. And so 2017, about three years ago, we sat down and said, okay, we want to work on this project together. This is the story we want to tell. We want to build out a world we're working on scripted television projects. We want to build this world. And these are the types of stories we want to tell inside of it. Where do we start? And it's been an amazing ride. It's something I'd never done before. Neither of us had. So we both were kind of figuring out as we went how this would work. It's a lot of talking. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's more talking than it is writing, uh, which is kind of how, you know, most writers rooms on in the television space are. Anyway, it's a tremendous amount of talking before people go away to write. But it is so nice having a partner that you can bounce ideas off of. And so together, we're able to break stories and break whole seasons of TV and really think about the structure of something. And then we're able together to just get down into the nitty gritty gritty of it, into the details and really make each other laugh. And that's been what's so fantastic about it. We're in the zone now where we're, we're able to be more strategic about how we spend our time. And so we're able to say, okay, this, the project's at this certain stage. This is where we need to go. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. We're going to come back together you know, in a week or a week and a half and share our work. And then we'll have another session together and then we'll move forward. So we're getting into, we're now in a very good rhythm. We're also at the point in our creative process where we'll read something we wrote you know, a month ago and we'll be cracking up over it. And I'll say, oh, I love that line. Like how, who wrote that? Do you remember? And he'll say, no, I have no idea who wrote that line. You know, we're, we're really in sync now on the projects in terms of, you know, our collective voice for our characters mm. and the story we're telling. So that's a really fun place to be actually. But having that's that, amazing. having that sounding board, it's almost like having an, an editor all the time, but an editor who wants all of your stuff to sound amazing. But it's just like any other, you know, creative collaboration. We don't always agree on everything, but but having that and being and having to really like stand your ground on something and prove why it should be included really makes you think about <laughs> makes you think about your writing. Sure, yeah. Jim is just a phenomenal. I mean, from a technical perspective, he's just phenomenal, and and we come from really different educational backgrounds. He also was a corporate lawyer for a long time, and so his verbal dexterity is just you know, fantastic. But working with him has made me, uh, has made me a better writer, uh, no doubt. And, and more confident in my own ability, frankly. So it's been great. 
I love the idea of not knowing who wrote a certain line (laughs) because I think it speaks to not only the fact that you're both, um, you're integrated on this collective voice, but also one of the things I talk to writers about all the time is how our best writing comes when we drop out of our frontal cortex and into our limbic system. Mm. And when you're writing in the flow of creativity versus trying to think up the best way to say something or trying to think of a really clever thing to do next in, in the plot. And um, I, it's been my experience that when I write from that place, I almost forget that I've said what I've said. And someone could read something back to me that I've written. And I'm like, whoa, I wrote that? <laughs> which I think is a sign. It's a sign that we're really getting to the good stuff because you're detached from it and it doesn't have to be about your ego as the writer or about proving how smart you are or proving what a great storyteller you are, but it just becomes so human. Yes. And anyway, I really, really love that image. And I think the other takeaway, I think that writers who are listening to this can take from that is this idea that pulling someone else into the process doesn't mean that the writing's not yours or that you didn't play a role in it. Or I think sometimes people are hesitant to pull someone else into the process maybe because they feel either a lot of ownership over it or because they're nervous and it feels vulnerable to share. Well, well, but yeah, sharing your writing is it, one of the most vulnerable <laughs> things you can do. <laughs> it is. But pulling, pulling someone else into the process always, always, always makes us better and it makes our work better too. So I think though, it's one of those things, you know, as I've started to write more in the last five years and share my writing and have people, you know, my editors at Forbes looking at things and giving me feedback, uh, Jim looks, you know, not only at our joint work, but also at my solo screenwriting work, you know, now I'm more comfortable now having people provide notes for me. And because people have been so generous with their editorial feedback and their criticism, it's made me actually much better at giving that type of feedback to other people. I'm in a phase right now where I feel like every single one of my friends has a book coming out. (laughs) And so it's just like, I mean, they're all incredible and it's been amazing to watch and see all of their journeys. But now when a friend sends me a galley of their book or even just, you know, a draft and asks my opinion or asks me to read a section and edit or, you know, help them work something out, I'm much better than I was previously just because of the experience of doing it for myself. Uh, I'm just much better at providing that type of feedback. And I also know how scary it can be to press send on that email. Yeah. And so you have to really be willing to just tap into your empathy and like really meet people where they are when you're reading their writing. But having mine read has just made me, it's a, it's a cycle. It makes you more generous with other people in their practice as well. I, and I love it. I'm so honored when somebody sends me something and says, would you be willing to take a read? at this. Totally. It is such a gift. It's an invitation into their space, which is such a gift. Yes. That's really great. One of the things we talk about often on this podcast is the power that a writing practice can have on other areas of our life. So I'm curious for you, especially in your professional life, how you've seen the ability to write. And as as that ability has grown and become stronger over time, what kind of result have you seen in other areas of your professional and your personal life? I mean, feel free to share from either. Sure. Um, I think that it overall has made me a better communicator. I'm still really chatty 
and maybe a little, <laughs> maybe a little mouthy sometimes. That hasn't changed, but I try to be, and I think I'm just more mindful with my words. And I'm more mindful about word choice. I try not to overthink it or be too precious about it, but I just try to be really mindful about the way that I communicate with others. And I think about that quite a bit at work and in spaces where I'm, you know, looked upon as a leader. In my personal life, well, I love writing letters and I love, if I could like to spend a whole day just like writing nice emails to people and friends and family that I miss <laughs> or haven't seen, that sounds like an amazing day. Um, <laughs> I, really does. I wish that we lived in a time where like handwritten letters were still kind of the main thing because I, I really love that. And I love that as a mode of communicating appreciation, love, affection, admiration, gratitude towards other people. Writing in a solo practice, I've been doing this thing for a few years that, you know, journaling has always, I've had kind of a weird relationship with, I think because when I was a kid, my mom read my diary and then all of a sudden like diaries (laughs) didn't feel safe anymore. You'd be Um, shocked, by the way, sorry to interrupt you, but you would be shocked when we do, when we lead workshops to find your voice, we always ask people to talk about an early memory as it relates to writing. And you would be shocked how many times people talk about someone reading their private diary and this, this really deterring them from a practice of writing. Yes. It's It's quite common. Okay. So I'm not alone, but for many years, I did not want to journal for this very reason because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to write this thing. And what if it's not something I'm ready to share or want anybody to know? And how do I, what if that happens? What if my secret is out? I mean, so for a long time, I didn't journal. And then a few years ago, I just needed to get the words out. I really needed to write more. I, I write a lot of emails that I don't send. That's one, that's one <laughs> way. Sometimes writing is just a great outlet for me to work something out. If there's a stressful situation at work, if something's going on with a friend or family member, and I need to work out, even if it's, I need to work out how I'm going to explain something to someone or how I'm going to have a hard conversation. If I have to go in and have a tough conversation with a vendor or a team member, in the past when I've had to let people go, I I usually write it out and like practice it for myself so that I know that I'm at least comfortable saying the words and have put some thought into it. But I started doing this thing that I can't remember who her teacher was, but Lauren Graham, who's an actress and a, and a screenwriter and a novelist, actually, um, I read her book and she talks about this kind of free flow practice in her writing where she keeps kind of a running dock all the time of just whatever and just writes just free flow, whatever is comes to mind, a story that she heard that day, whatever she's thinking about. So it's kind of a different style of journal. And then once she's gotten to a certain point or she's worked out a certain story, she'll go back to her script or go back to her book she's writing and kind of get back into the flow and time herself until it's, you know, the next kind of like free writing phase. And I started doing that and it really, really broke open for me. Just, well, a lot of things in my creative process, but also provided me a journal like output that doesn't feel like I'm writing in a diary, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also I I feel like the other benefit of that practice, it's such a beautiful practice is as we get older, Sometimes the idea of writing a, a diary or a journal or whatever feels a little bit young, or mm-hmm. I don't know how to say say that exactly, but that you're like, well, I'm not just going to whine about my feelings. Yeah, about like my a bad little juvenile. Yeah, it's like, oh. Yeah. 
Dear diary. But I mean, <laughs> but all these things happen to us in a day that, yeah. you know, as the input comes in, I say this, it's like digestion. Like when you take food in, your body has to digest and metabolize the food and it has to receive what it wants and what is good for it to put to use for energy. And then it has to discard the rest. Mm-hmm. And same is true for an input of what happens to us in our lives. What Anything we take in, like we're bombarded with all these media messages and things happen to us at work and we get a phone call, a, you know, a bad phone call from a friend or we have a fight with a family member or whatever. And your body has to find a way to metabolize all of that stuff. And writing is this really fantastic way to metabolize it. Even just literally writing down you know, I spoke with my brother on the phone and we fought or whatever it is, putting it into words prevents your brain from having to hold on to it for all that time. And I think that's a lot of times that's one of the reasons why we get creatively blocked is our brains are trying to hold on to too much so that we can't metabolize at all. Right. I mean, if I went back and read through kind of my free flow document right now, I mean, it's everything. It's everything from the thing that happened to a new show (laughs) I did to what I think about this thing that's happening at work to, you know, anger anger at another person or at myself over something. I mean, it's everything's in there, but it does, it helps you work it out. And I mean, I, I know you, you know, you understand that writing is also a way to work through grief. Yes. And so I found that it is a, you know, really healing, really therapeutic. When you're in a grieving process of just just about anything, it can really be an outlet to help you heal. It certainly has been for me. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think it's that's sure. such an important point. I don't want to skip over it. So just talk a little bit about sure. how you've used writing as a tool to work through. Sure. I think in 2017, uh, I had to walk away from a friendship that was a really important friendship for me in my life. Like one of those, you know, long-term just title friendships. And it was the right thing to do, but it took years for me to heal from that, to get over the grief and the loss of the friend. And writing became really the only way that I could work it out because it wasn't really anything that I could talk to people about. And I didn't really want to talk about it, frankly, but I had, I was feeling so much. And there was also so much left unsaid that I felt like I needed to resolve. And I so desperately wanted to be able to, you know, write all these things and send them to the friend. So the friend would have to digest them. But in order for me to to get over it and just to heal and to feel like I had kind of worked through it, I just had to write it out. Hmm. Just you know, and sometimes I would write about it every day for three weeks, and then I wouldn't write about it for two months, and then something would happen, and I would feel like I need to write about it again, or I needed to write something to myself, or I needed to write something to the friend, and the friend will you know never saw it, but it helped me to just be able to get out those thoughts. And a lot of it was, you know, gratitude and admiration and kind of positive. It wasn't like a negative, oh, I'm grieving and I'm angry type thing. In fact, I used it really for the opposite. Hmm. And I tried to focus on like, I'm so grateful that I had this friendship for 15 years and here are all the reasons why. And even though it's over, here's all the things, all the memories that I'm going to carry with me that I want to make sure I hold on to. It's that type of stuff. So it helped me work through the sadness and some of the anger, but it really helped me figure out how to weed out all the negative stuff and focus on here are the things I want to keep. I'm going to tuck these in a little place in my heart and now I'm going to move on. And I don't think I would have been able to move on if I hadn't taken the time by myself to write it out. That's so good. 
So for me, that's kind of the how it's helped me through through grieving. Really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think yeah. one of the great gifts of a writing practice is it really does help you see things from every perspective. I had a therapist once who told me like it helps you to walk all the way around a thing. Mm. And I think that that <laughs> just reminds me of what you're talking about. You know, it's like, yes, this is sad and it's hard and I'm angry and I have these negative feelings, but I also have all of this love and joy and gratitude connected to this relationship. And that's really, it's an integrated, truthful, grown-up perspective that helps us to release what isn't for us anymore and to move and move forward into what is for us. So a little bit along those lines, when last year, or it might have been a little more than a year ago, you interviewed me for your column at Forbes. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this concept of writing. And I was sharing with you some of the research that I've done around this topic. And you said something to me like, and correct me if this wasn't exactly how you set up, but you were like, interesting, because I made the goal for myself this past year that I was going to journal every day. And I did that. And it's been one of the best years of my life. I've been happier than I've ever been before. So I'm curious if you do you can you pinpoint the connection between writing and happiness for you? Does that feel like a connection you would make? It does, but I don't know if it's so much happiness, although the last few years have been pretty happy, which is good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's more about connectedness. I think Ooh. I think the writing helped me to do exactly what you just said, which is to walk all the way around something. It's to really be... You know, it's how people talk about meditation is like being really grounded and connected with themselves. And I'm a big proponent of that as well. But for me, writing is is one of the best ways for me to meditate on something. And I think it just made me more mindful, more connected with myself, more aware of myself, and also gave me an opportunity to be critical of myself, not in a negative way, but in a really in a positive way. I needed some constructive criticism sometimes because sometimes you're forced to make hard choices or you maybe have made a mistake and you need to work it out. I, you know, sometimes when I mess up, I find it really hard to forgive myself, even after a lot of other people are over it. Totally. So I need to work that out. But I think, you know, starting in 2018, really end of 2017, all through 2018, I made it a point to write as much as I possibly could. And a lot of that was in this kind of free flow style, but I also spent a ton of time writing on personal projects, lots of scripts, lots of articles, short stories, treatments, various things. And all that creative output, it made me feel really happy. I I guess that is a great word for it. It just made me feel productive and happy. And I was able to kind of let go of all my writing being perfect or my dialogue being perfect or my story structure being perfect. And I was able just to kind of get things on a page, take risk, and then go back and work it out. And so there's a lot of problem solving and the editing process is very powerful because sometimes you have to edit something out of a piece that you feel like is the most important thing you need to say, but you know, it's a thing that has to go. And I think that's relevant in our lives. And so Mm. all of that together just made me feel, I think, more mindful, more connected, and more productive. And I guess I link, sometimes can link productivity with happiness, but I felt like my work was more fearless than it had been prior. And that made me really excited. And that's the type of energy that I try to continue in my practice. It's just, it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's get it out there and see where this goes. 
And sometimes you end up in a really amazing place. And if you'd been too afraid to go there, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't get there. So mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but um. it makes perfect sense. It's so great. Yeah. I want to talk to you all day. We have to start rounding the corner to the finish line. Sure. But I have a couple more questions for you. Sure. One of which feels like a massive question and we don't have 30 minutes to talk about it, but <laughs> I've heard you say before that you believe storytelling is one of the most powerful tools we have for catalyzing change in the world. And I agree with you 100%. I'd love to hear you talk about why and how have you seen storytelling create positive change in the world? Mm. There's an amazing TED Talk that everyone should watch by my friend Sarah Jane Murray about how our brains are hardwired for story. And there is a chemical component and a biological component to why stories are so powerful uh, for us as human beings. And I won't, you know, reiterate Sarah's talk here. Everyone go listen to it. It's fabulous. But story- We'll link it in the show notes oh, great. too. Okay, so everyone can- um, story, storytelling and- and the connection there, I think, is how we can impart empathy in our society. And so it's really how we can break down barriers. And all the big barriers that we have as a culture, as human beings, um, especially with what's going on in our world right now, in our national dialogue, it all comes back to fear. And if we can use stories, which is one of the most powerful mechanisms that we have by either showing, telling, doing, whatever the means are, that is a way that we can reach people. And that's a way that we can draw them in. And that's a way that we can change hearts and minds if that's what we want to do. But it's a way of igniting and sparking change. And it's a way that we share passion in our culture through language. And people want to be a part of that. It's it's a bridge builder. And I don't know. I, I just think of, of all the things we have. I mean, when you look at whether it's finding, you know, the political candidate you want to support, or even when you look at the types of stories that you want to ingest, I mean, we're constantly ingesting stories right now. That's all we do sure. yeah. all day long is take in content. It's almost overwhelming. And so I think we have to be discerning about the content and the stories that we take in. But I think, you know, whenever I've really wanted to push my own thinking or try to understand someone better or try to learn about a different perspective or see, see things differently, it really helps for me to be able to hear the story of someone else that maybe I don't agree with or whose experience is so completely different than mine, especially. Just think about that moment when you, see, when you watch a really powerful film and you learn or a television show, or see a commercial, or whatever it is, or a play, or read a book, you are hearing the story of somebody else, especially if it's something really different from your own lived experience, like just how yeah. beautiful and overwhelming and what, a, what an amazing learning opportunity that is. You know, I think that the practice of writing is a constant reminder to those of us who do it, that we're never done learning, ever. The storytelling aspect of that and stories catalyzing change, it's just a constant cycle of how we share and how we live our lives. It's its verbal history. Uh, it's everything. So I don't know. That's how I've seen it. I've just, I've seen it change people's perspective in real time. And once you see it, you know it's possible and you want to do it all the time. Amazing. So true. So helpful. My last question for you today, Laura, really comes from a place of 
you know, I mentioned to you that one of the things we really focus on in this show is how powerful words can be to, to leave lasting change in the world. So mm. I'm curious if you had to put your legacy into a few words, what would that be? What kind of words do you want to leave behind? Oh gosh, I haven't thought I know, about it's a big this. Question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but my instinct is that I would want those words to be really filled with, it's going to sound cheesy, but I'd want my legacy to just to be filled with love and gratitude for that. the people that I care about the most. I'd want to honor my husband, my family, my friends, and thank them for their contribution to my life. I think my legacy, that's, that's how I'd want to use words mm-hmm. if I had to only choose a few. It's perfect. It ties in with everything we've talked about today. It's not cheesy at all. It's a great, great way to wrap this up. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Laura, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. We are so grateful. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome, Allie. Thank you. I'm honored that you would ask me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.